You're listening to a Soul Fire Productions podcast. Well, 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 welcome back to The Kelly Show. It's still weird for me to call it The Kelly Show, so I usually just say, welcome back. But I am working on taking ownership of this space and my work and the things that I love and who I am. So this is part of the work, just giving you a little glimpse into my reality and my daily struggles sometimes. And today, oh, I love today's guest so much. He is such a special man. Oh my gosh, Cal Callahan. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Mr. Cal. So I would like to think of Cal as the uncle or older brother that I never had. And I met Cal and his incredible wife, Peyton, through Connor, and we've actually never met in person yet. I've stayed in their home. They have welcomed me into their home and let me sleep in one of their rooms, yet we have never met in person, which is crazy. And Cal is now part of Soulfire Productions, which hit with his incredible podcast, The Great Unlearn. But I, I met Cal virtually, and I have just fallen in love with the person that he is and the example that he sets. And he's one of those people where you just energetically feel drawn to him and you know that there's something special about him and you know that he's so genuine and kind and gracious and raw and vulnerable and the way he and Peyton show up and use their experience and the difficult times and the great moments, the wins and the losses in order to be of service to help people grow as individuals and couples is honestly just inspiring. And it makes me feel like there is hope for us yet. (laughs) Cal has really just been a wonderful friend and support system for both Connor and myself. And so I'm so grateful that I finally get to have this conversation with him on the show. And we get into so many different things during this time. What I love is that we really get into the identity shift that Cal went through and feeling permission to be who he is and finally feeling accepted by himself, not even just the outside world, but accepting who he is and being in this constant state of emergence and learning to not run for the finish line while allowing what feels good into his life. And we talk quite a bit about this in his relationship with Peyton, about taking inventory of your life and your relationship and in a lot of ways starting over once you feel that what's going on no longer serves you. So this is just a beautiful conversation, so thoughtful, and I'm so grateful for the way Cal showed up to really get deep into his heart and what he was feeling and shed some tears from such a opening and expansive space. That's what really comes forward in this episode. Before we get into this one with Cal, I wanted to let you guys know there's just a few weeks until my program is closing forever. I don't think I'm going to do this one again. This is it. Her truth. 
she will be done in just a few weeks. So I created the program for the woman who really wants to let go of the noise and the beliefs and the systems that were created for her that no longer resonate with her. The woman who wants to fully step into her spirituality, her sexuality, to embody grace and allowance and flow. We are in such a society of stagnation and the masculine and do, 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 and go, 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 and perfection and trying to achieve. And this program allows you to come back to yourself, to your truth, what resonates for you. And it gets rid of the noise. So you have the space to create the life and the relationship with yourself that you so deeply desire. So this is at a discount for two more weeks. If you go to kellytenant.com slash her dash truth, you can sign up right now and it is at your own pace and you will have access to everything, the audio lessons, the guided pleasure and the journal that I curated just for this program at the drop of a hat. So head over there now and sign up. I cannot wait to have you. All right, let's get to Cal. Cal, I'm so happy to have you on the show. I've been waiting for this moment for so long. Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. When the, when the note came through that you were uh, requesting my presence, I was <laughs> like so stoked. And I've obviously, you and I started working together in Connor over the last couple of months, but we've gotten to know each other even before that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I love the way you show up. Um, even that conversation we had last summer, I just thought it was really cool how you, you had this kind of inherent trust in me. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think that's, unfortunately, I don't think we run into enough people that show up that way. There's a lot of guarding going on. And, um, I think it's important for people to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that, that that's what you're doing in the world. Thank you for saying that. You know, that's an interesting thing to observe and acknowledge. I think that for me, I just intuitively lean into what feels good and what doesn't. And from the moment I heard about you from Connor and just how much he loves you, I was like, I got to meet this guy. But then from the moment I spoke to you, the energy that you carry is so open and so genuine. And so I immediately, I just energetically feel that. And so I feel like I'm able to reciprocate that. But I think that that speaks to the work that you and I have both individually done in order to have that body awareness to know this feels good and safe and I can lean into it without having to put up barriers. Yeah. It's, 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 I think part of what we experience maybe through our formative years and beyond is when we open up, sometimes something happens that doesn't feel good. Someone takes advantage of us. That happens a lot. And I think whenever I look back on those moments, it's all, it's all good. Like I survived all of them. And so I don't want to shut down because I've had a few bad experiences with, you know, kind of opening the kimono and then letting someone in and them taking advantage, you know? So I, I just intuitively like you, I, I had this trust for people and it gets broken and that's okay. Like I, I, I'm more discerning about how I do it maybe. And I can, key in when someone is trying to take advantage and I can still hold them in that space. I know it has nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's happened actually 
a little bit this summer, there's been a few times when I felt that. Um, and it's, you know, it's such a difference when you actually know it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> you can just kind of witness it and be okay and still show up as you in, in the hopes. My, my hope is that in me showing up that way, others, it gives them permission to do it and know that it's okay. But yeah, it feels, it feels true for me. Um, so yeah, I love that. How does that play into the way you trust yourself now? Well, it's like an, so funny. I was recording a welcome video for the, the online brotherhood on online slash in-person brotherhood that I'm starting here, um, beginning of September. And one of my questions for all the men was like, how do you, you know, take stock of where you are today? What are you working on? And for me, it's, listen, I have so much data about the ease with which my life unfolds if I show up just as me. And even though I have mountains of that data, I still struggle with it. Um, I'm much better at it. I also know now when I'm not showing up as me and I'm trying to put on a mask to fit into a particular group, uh, it doesn't feel good. Like my, my jaw like contorts, like my body constricts. There's all these things that I'm aware of now that I was never aware of. I was just wearing all these different masks for so many years that I thought that's just what you did. And so even though I know again, how easy it is that we forget, we don't have to remember a story or what this, what, what do I think this person wants for me when I show up? It's, they just want you. And if they don't, then you'll figure that out and you can move on. It's, 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 but it's, it's having that, that comfort in your own skin. But I feel like it's just an ongoing kind of, I don't want to say battle, but it's a bit of a battle sometimes. It's such a fucking battle. <laughs> right. Right? I like to be in like flow and don't force things and things aren't work. And I'm like, and this is very hard. And it feels like a freaking battle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, well, am I actually showing up as myself or am I showing up of a, as a version of my higher self that has a little bit of virtue signaling and all this other shit mixed in? where it's not truly myself. And I am still, I have some underlying strategy about what I'm trying to get out of this situation. So it's, it's the awareness of the strategy. And when that comes up, where it's like, Oh, there's time for strategy for sure. But, um, for, for so long for me, that was, you know, and you heard the line when, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. And like, that's just how I showed up. It doesn't mean I wasn't, a genuinely nice guy and good person and love people. And, but I just recognize how different I move through the world today than how I, I have for, for a number of years. And what was the catalyst for that shift? Well, well, I would say if there was an event and you know this, I was in Las Vegas during the shooting in uh, 2017 in October. And that was, that was a moment um, that shook my whole world in the sense that all my old strategies, my ways of dealing with different situations that weren't going my way, all those things failed. 
And I spent the better part of probably 18 months on this quest for, okay, what, not, not, not even really knowing I was on the quest, but just knowing I, there's something about me that's not working anymore that didn't work. And so what is going to work for me? And, and so it was a number of things. Introduction to breath work. It's plant medicines. It's sitting with myself without all of my accomplishments and all the things that people see on the outside and seeing that those things were great and they have served me and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for them, but they're not me. And when, when I can let go of those things and just sit in who I am without that, which by the way, in the beginning is completely terrifying because that's all, you know, it's the different armoring, the masks, whatever you want to call it. But sitting in that space long enough and being surrounded by people I didn't think you'd give me this early. Um, people that just loved me for me, you know? And I think I grew up thinking I had to show up in all these different ways that wasn't me. I was, was what I was talking about earlier. And when you're given permission by people that you love and that are doing their own work, um, and they just accept you. It, 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 yeah, gave me permission to accept myself as I was with, with all the shit in my closet and to start taking those things out and understanding that they were a product of someone who was just at a different point in his life, was struggling in different ways, but it's all part of me. And instead of being ashamed of that stuff, I've rec and I tried to push it away for a long time. Even as I was doing this work, I was like, Oh, that wasn't me. I'm, I'm different now. And it's like, no, that, that's very much a part of me. And if I can bring that in for myself, I know that there's medicine there in acceptance of not just me, but of, of everyone and where they're at and just to have a better understanding and have compassion, like I said, for myself and for others. And it, it just made me more open. And so there's a lot of things I think along the way that have, have done that. But I think by and large, just gravitating towards people or surrounding myself, being really intentional with the people that I spend my time with. And, um, you know, what's been really cool is as I've gone into that space, I feel like as I've shown up in a truer version of myself, these relationships that I've had over the last number of years, 20 some odd years, I mean, there's, there's some men that I haven't really been in contact with for 20 plus years that are going to be part of this, this brotherhood. Wow. You know, started, yeah. And it's like, they, they're, they're ready for their you know, they're in a season of their life where they're, they're open and they're seeing how the, the cow that they knew back in high school is different. And, um, yeah, so that's been, again, more re kind of reinforcement that this, this is the right work. And there are a lot of men that, and I'll just speak about men right now, but a lot of men that have, gone through the same things in their own version that I've been through. And for, for me to just 
show them that we don't try to outrun those things that, that shadowy work, like that's, it's our real medicine and it's okay. It's all good. Um, yeah. So that's kind of a long winded say way to say that there's, there's been a lot of different things. Um, and it's so funny. I was having a conversation with a, you know, another one of my close friends the other day and just this whole idea that we're, we're never complete. There's, we're always in this, we're in this constant state of emergence. And if we can just accept that we're in that, and it's almost like a, I felt like it was a, a play on being present, but it's like, let's not go for that finish line anymore. Let's just stay with what is, what feels good for each of us, and then let it emerge and let it shift. And, you, you know, we've, we've been taught that there's a, there's something that we need to go for. There's a goal. There's a flag out there that that's, that's where we should be. And I did that for a long time and, and it served me well. I, I was able to, you know, financially speaking, I did really well and I built some great relationships, but that started to fail me because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I kept looking down the road and I kept looking around at people that seemed to know what they wanted to do. And I'm like, I want that. So what is it that I want to do? And I'd sit there and think, what do I want to do? And I would just start throwing shit at the wall. And it's like, that, that's, it's like 15, 20, a hundred iterations away from where I am today. So how could I even know what that thing is? Like, why be tied to it even? Have an idea of the direction, but the, the simplest thing. And, and, you know, one of the greatest lessons I learned from one of my mentors, Boyd Vardy, is what feels good right now? What's that first step? What is it? And just stay with that. And then when, when it starts to not feel right, walk back to the one that felt right and tune back into that. And for me, I've absolutely loved doing the podcast and I didn't know I would. You know, it started for a host of different reasons than, than I'm doing it now, which is just another reminder. Like you have no, no fucking clue what you want to do in a year, five years, let alone like in a week. If you just stay here, what feels good right now? Well, it feels really good to be sitting here talking with you about this. And earlier today, there were some other things that I did that felt really good. Not everything I do feels really good, but sometimes I need to do those things. And if I don't have to do them, I'll tune in like, why am I doing that? And it's, again, um, it's a way for me to take this, it can, can seem a little bit, a few layers away from us, this be here now, be present, the fuck does that mean? It just means like <laughs> exactly. what, what feels good right now. It's like, let's land it for us, right? The common folk. And um, it's almost like what I've told people, like what I'm trying to do in, on some level is create this mindfulness, presence, fill in the blank for dummies. You know, like we don't know, like we're, we don't spend, you know, 10 years in an ashram and trying to figure out the teachings of Buddha, but like what feels good about the teachings of Buddha and the teachings of Christ and what this person's doing over there to make themselves better. Well, I'll try that out. It doesn't mean that I have to do it because someone quote unquote, who looks successful is doing it, but it's an idea. Like I'll try enough. It works for me. Great. If it doesn't, I'll move on. But it's, it's paying attention which I just don't think we do. We get, I mean, I get got caught up in that 
Am I doing enough? Am I enough? What, you know, and just that whole comparison game, which is brutal. It's never, there's always someone or a number of people who are doing it better, have more, whatever the metric is. And it's, it's to be in the, for me to be in the right relationship with those people. What are they doing? What can I pull from that as inspiration, not motivation, right? And, and, a lot of people use the word motivation and like the motivation is when you need to be pushed to do something. And when we're inspired, we don't really even think, I don't even know, like I'm just doing it. And you just, again, you just show up as you and that is your gift. However, that presents itself to everyone. Mm. I love all of that so much. You mentioned the phone call we had last summer. And I remember being on the phone with you and Connor had told me to call you because he trusted you and trust you with his life. <laughs> Mm. And I remember asking you, we were looking at buying a house and doing all these different things. And I was calling for financial advice and, and saying all these numbers. And you just said, do what feels right. Like what feels good to you? And I remember getting off the phone. I'm like, Connor, I love your friend, but what the fuck? I wanted an answer. <laughs> yes. And it was so funny because I remember it took me a long time to be like, wow, what a gift Cal gave us that he urged me to trust myself and lean into what felt right for me and us at this time. Not the, hey, can you give me an answer or the quick fix so that I can now go on with my life and just do whatever you say. And that was such a profound moment. And I, I remember that to this day as such a learning and teaching moment that we often go to other people because we're not able to trust ourselves and we're making decisions from needing um, validation and external sources to tell us we're okay and we're right and you're doing the best. But at the end of the day, it's it comes down to what's within. And I, I'm curious for you, uh, when you made that shift into rather than achievement based and I need this amount of money and this deal to be done or whatever that looked like into this feels good, and how that discomfort came up as you were making that shift into a new way of thinking. Yeah. Great question. Well, I'll say the reason I was able to kind of share that with you was because I've spent so long telling people what to do. And there's so many things that happen downstream with that way to quote unquote coach. I don't know, but it's, they either don't follow it like you said, and it's it's it all becomes someone else's idea, and that never feels good. Even if it works out, you don't honestly. I've I've done plenty of things when I've followed other people's advice and it's gone well, but I don't feel connected to the result. It's not me. And then when it goes bad, you're just like fuck. I'm an idiot. Like I didn't just listen to someone else. I didn't do my due diligence or what. It has nothing to do with due diligence. I mean, sure, there's a level of that. When you tune into what you really want, you can live with whatever the results are because it was your decision. And, and you, if you can, again, the, the hard part is, you know, is to get, go from the, the head to the heart and just to feel what, you know, that rational mind will have a lot of different scenarios and talk you in and out of different um, paths to go. But tune into like that first instinct of what feels like, it feels like I don't want to do this and don't do it. You know, and, and so I had a lot of years of when I was, you know, coaching fitness and CrossFit of telling people what to do. And it's just, ugh, you know, and I was kind of, you know, pushy about it. And I, 
bit of a know-it-all at times. And like, that just never felt good to show up that way. Even if people were buying what you were saying, it just felt very preachy and there was no connection. I was just talking at someone. And then they, they don't really know how to implement that because you're just telling them and they're going to have their own interpretation. But if I can hold space and let you come up with what feels really good for you, I'm just there to ask the right questions, share my experience. I definitely do that with the major caveat, but that that is what works for me. And this is why I think it worked for me, but I'm not really sure, but we all have our, our own ways to do that. It's when I shifted out of kind of chasing all those dreams in a sense, um, because I was trying to find fulfillment in those things and you get really close. You may have a moment where it feels really good, but then it's gone. I mean, it's, I'm not telling anybody anything that's even heard from any number of movie stars or right. Uh, professional athletes that have not found that kind of, um, yeah, that, that deep well of fulfillment. And, and so as I started to realize that I wasn't the house that I live in or where we vacation or the car, whatever the thing needs to be, the, the, my physical fitness. I mean, I'm probably weigh a hundred and I'd say 180, but I know it's not even that much. <laughs> now, but I probably weigh 175 pounds. I used to walk around here not too long ago, like 205 and just muscular. And people are going to tell you how awesome you are because you're 45, 46 and you're, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And you start drinking that Kool-Aid and you think that's what you need to do. And so it manifested in many different ways for me. And when I started to let go of that, I got challenged on it a lot. You know, so we come up to this place in Idaho every summer, coming here for 11 or 12 years. And so I, I had stopped drinking and started to really work on kind of fixing myself from the inside. So I needed to stop training as hard as I was because you know, the, the cells weren't, it wasn't taking. And so I really just stopped training. And I came up here at that point, uh, I say up here, I'm up here right now. I came up here down a good 20 pounds and people were just like, Hey, so you're not drinking and you're like, you looks like you lost a lot of weight and like, what's going on? And like kind of challenging that ego in a big way, not, not knowingly, but for me, it was like, oh, I gotta go down and start working out again. Like I literally, like the next day after one of these parties I was at, I went down and had like a big workout on the board and I started to do it. I'm like, I'm a fucking idiot. What am I doing? I don't wanna do this. I don't care. But I did care. So trying to tell myself I didn't care, but I, there was still a part of me that cared. And that still shows up for me every now and then. But I know that that isn't who I am. It's just a role I play or a way that people want to view me. But it, it's, you know, so it's like trying to, again, back to that being in the right relationship with all of that stuff and knowing that if someone wants to celebrate me because, you know, I retired from trading, then that's for them to do. I don't need to attach to that praise. I can just see it for what it is. It's like, that's how they view me. Okay, cool. Like other people view me other ways. Am I going to be, you know, kind of beholden to what other people think of me? I have for a long time. So as I started to 
unwrap that stuff, I just realized that I could do whatever I wanted and it didn't matter except how I felt about it. And obviously like my family have to take them into account for sure. But Ugh, family. <laughs> they ruin everything. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it, it's just, it's like a gentle, and sometimes for me, like I want to go all in. And so I just try to disavow. And then I realize that that's not the thing. Cause that's, you know, trying to distance myself from all these different ways that I showed up. And it's like, it's all me. It's just how I relate to them. Um, so yeah, again, it's from a lot of practice doing it the wrong way and for, for, for seeing honestly, the, what keeps coming up is the, the absolute connection I get with people when I lay all those things down and I just show up as me. It's like, Oh, that's, that's all I want is connection. Like at the end of the day, if, if I can connect to someone, all the other shit's just cool, you know, but if I, if I can't connect, what do I have? When you started to make the distinction between this is my head and my ego and this is what it's trying to tell me and this is what my body is telling me and I feel and think two different things. How did you navigate the what at least in my body feels like a spiral of my head telling my body, no, you're wrong. You can't do this. This is bad. And my body's like, but I love it and it feels so good. Yeah, it's it's uh, again, still a challenge. There are times when the you know, when I was doing this, this brotherhood that I started that no one signed up for, you know, you know, I had mentioned on the podcast and a newsletter and Instagram and no one had signed up. I'm like, fuck, you know, maybe this isn't the thing. Maybe nobody wants, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm full of shit. Like I, I cause I saw how clearly this was going to be, this is such a powerful experience that I questioned it. And, um, as people started to sign up and I started to have the calls and the calls were 15 minute calls that lasted generally an hour. It's like, Oh, this is exactly what I should be doing. This is, I, I, I stayed true. I didn't abandon ship. I was okay. Like I just had to figure okay, what's the least amount of people I could have. <laughs> and it could still be like a brotherhood. Right. Cause I, I had had uh, 16 spots open. And when you're at zero or one for me, it's like, it's, is it six people? Is it eight? Like what makes sense? And, and then it all filled up within like a couple of weeks. And, um, it was just another reminder, like, just, dude, just keep showing up as you. And if it's six people, it's six people. If it's four, like give them the best you have. And, um, just, it's, yeah, it's like, it's just creating a new, um, measure. It's stop with the thinking about what you should do. It's the shoulds. The shoulds always come up. And um, it's what I wanted to do. It's like with the podcast, you know, this is probably it makes you pull your hair out. But I'm like, I don't really fucking care what the numbers are. I mean, I do. There's a part of me that does because I, I think the conversations that I have are really important. But when I say I don't really care, it's that. I don't want to be tied to what the numbers are because they are what they are. And my conversations are what they are. And that's why I'm doing it. And, um, you know, it doesn't need to turn into Joe Rogan's podcast. So it, it's, it's like, what do I really want? I want to have awesome conversations that I think will benefit people. And then when I get an email or a text message from a friend or just anything random that says a conversation I had helped someone, 
fuck, that's way better than you telling me I had X number of downloads. And, and so it's just, again, it's feeling into, you know, there's, it's, it's being able to hold both of those things too. And I know that's, you know, I, I struggle with that sometimes, you know, and that's why it sounds flippant when I'm like, I don't really care. Um, you're like, but we want to help you. So like, we kind of need to care a little bit <laughs> right? to promote it. Just this much. <laughs> yeah. So like, what does it feel? What feels right? And with like my newsletter, mm-hmm. I, I just didn't have anything to write this one week. So I'm like, I'm just not going to do anything. And then I didn't do something the next week. And it's like that, that actually felt true to me. Mm-hmm. Even though I said I was going to do a Sunday newsletter every week, it, that's just what I thought on that particular day. It changes and just to pay attention to that. And you know, I haven't posted shit on social media lately. And, and it feels a little bit weird because I'm like, I know I'm supposed to be promoting some things and do, but I just haven't had anything to say. Um, and it's funny when I did have something to say, it was like probably three weeks ago. I literally was supposed to record a, you know, a video where I had a nice camera and the microphone is sitting down and telling everybody about what the unlearned experience brotherhood was going to be about. And I probably did 20 takes. I didn't get further than 90 seconds. I'm like, that's not going to fucking work. And so later that day, I was just sitting out by the water and I grabbed my phone and I like recorded like a six, seven minute video that I put up on Instagram TV. And I think I had three people reach out and sign up because of that. And then I had another one of my buddies who was um, like one of my best friends who was not sure if he was going to do it. And he's like, after he saw that, he's like, I'm in, I'm so in, I get it. I finally get it. And so long way to say, it's just, I, I just, I'm, I'm aware of when I'm playing that game of, I should be doing this. And I, I know if I, if I have to grow the thing, right? That's like this thing. You got a podcast, you've got Instagram followers, whatever the thing is, you're supposed to grow it because that means you have more influence. And I do want to have more influence in that sense, you know, but I also, I need it to happen on my terms with some nudging mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with the nudging. Um, but I just need to continue to be more open to the nudging because you know, sometimes I'm not, I'm like, I just don't want to fucking do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also honest, you know, usually sometimes it's like, I oh, don't fucking want to do it. It's just a little bit of extra work, but generally, um, again, I go back to this, this whole notion that the things that come easiest to us, those are our gifts. And I think we're all taught otherwise. We're all taught. We're supposed to work for something. We're supposed to grind for something. You're supposed to earn it. It has to be what hard. It has to be hard. You know, the elbow grease, that sweat equity, whatever the bullshit line is, there's a time to do that. And I've certainly done that with the podcast and the different things I've done. But at the end of the day, the driver has to be what's coming easy because that's, that's what's true for me. And it's not going to be what's true for you or for Connor or for anybody else. So paying attention to that and, you know, it's like meditating and just tuning into like something that's it's not feeling right. Like, why does it not feel right? Is it just me being afraid to go there, but it's actually the right thing to do. And so it's not always, you know, following my heart. Sometimes the fear comes in and, you know, I don't want to do it. Um, and so it's just, 
Yeah. Like all the, all the signals we get, it's, I'm finally becoming more and more aware of those things and I'm not just bypassing them and saying, Oh, I'm good. Or I don't want to do it. You know? So it's, it's, it's a dance for sure. And you know, every day is different for, for certain, but it's been fun. Less self-judgment too. Like I just know that it doesn't matter and on a certain level. I don't want this to sound, you know, kind of insensitive, but none of it fucking matters also. It just doesn't, nope. you know, it, it just matters to me. So that's what I got to stay true to. Yeah. I, I'm listening to you talk and I'm thinking about my time when I was a TV host for 10 plus years and I was super sick with chronic illness from that whole time. And I remember how many days I had to go to the ballpark or go to Staples Center or go into the studio and I was miserable. I felt like I was going to die. I couldn't see straight. My body hurt. And I'm like pushing through because it has to be that way and I have to show up and I have to do the thing and put on the face and the makeup and the dress and look pretty and talk to the people and make everyone happy. And it is so funny because I work just like you now. I only do it when it feels good. I don't post on Instagram all the time. I don't like forcing captions. I don't like pretending like I care about something when I don't. I turn down thousands of dollars a month in sponsorships because I just don't care. I'm like, I'm not going to talk about a thing that doesn't truly move me as a person. Like I did that for so long. I don't even like sports. And I talked about sports for 10 plus years. (laughs) I'm like, why? Why? Because we're taught that it should be a certain way. We're taught that we should show up and we should act like this and we should wear this thing. And I just don't believe in that. And I didn't trust myself and I didn't listen to my body. And as soon as I left that life, my body completely changed and I haven't been sick in two years. And it's like, if you truly get in touch with what feels good, what doesn't feel good, you will be in so much further alignment and connected to who you are and your purpose and what actually drives you. But you can't constantly be in doing. You have to be in being because in the being is the quiet. And that is when you get to hear that is when the chaos and the noise clears. And all of a sudden you're like, connected to the universe, you know, fully open channel. Okay. Now I can hear and let me listen. Let me be in listening. And that I respect that about you so much because I think there's so many of us that are still trying to be someone to do something. And I don't believe that it needs to be trying. I just feel like if we are in being and in listening with ourselves and that around us that we care about, we can truly find that happiness that everyone is seeking. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And it's, it's, and just to break it down a little bit more for, for everyone, it's don't look for like when you're in this state of stillness or being, you're not necessarily going to get some burning bush that shows up. Like this is the thing you're supposed to do. It's like these little, little cues. They're just little cues that feels good. I feel a little more expansive. That feels not good. I feel a little bit more constricted. It's literally that simple. And then when, when you, when you have both of those cases, try to understand why that feels good and why that doesn't feel good. And then we can start to get to the root and then the things start to become more clear. What feels good, what doesn't and why, and then we can start moving forward in the world with that whole kind of notion. Just a brief pause from my conversation with my dear friend Cal to let you guys know about one of my favorite companies in all the land, 
So Organifi is a brand that I have been on board with for years and years and years. I first started using their products because I really needed the green juice. I was super inflamed and dealing with a lot of chronic pain and I couldn't eat a lot of vegetables. Superfoods would actually make me really, really sick and cause me a lot of pain because I had leaky gut. And so that's how I was introduced was finding something that had a lot of different superfoods that I wasn't able to actually chew and consume. So that's my intro, but then I found gold. Let me tell you about gold. Gold is magic in a bottle. Gold is nine superfoods for deep sleep and recovery. Doesn't have any caffeine. It is my go-to every freaking day. I kid you not. If you look at my Instagram, you know this is completely true. I am blending that bitch every morning. And especially right now, because I'm completely off all caffeine, I was getting such bad anxiety. My body was shaking. I was feeling really bad, like anxious kind of panic in my chest. And I realized that it was coffee that was causing it. I also had been breaking out in this rash on my face from having caffeine. And I tried having chai instead of coffee and I was still getting this rash. And so I said, fuck it, I'm out. So that's when I started really leaning on gold. They also just uh, released their limited edition pumpkin spice. So if you're a PSL lover, it's like the gold plus pumpkin spice. Holy shit. (laughs) Let me tell you. And you can make it at home. Stop going to Starbucks and buying shit. It's shit coffee that has mold in it. That's why you get jitters. That's why you have all these stomach problems. That's why you're fucking pooping your pants all day because you're drinking Starbucks and that stuff is running through you. I know because I do it. I'm just telling you to stop. Drink something that has turmeric and mushrooms and lemon balm and ginger and all these superfoods that make you feel good, that help you sleep, that don't give you jitters, and then blend it with coconut butter and hot water and just melt. Just melt. Just be like, damn. I feel so good because that's what I do every day and I feel amazing and I'm so glad I got off caffeine so I could remember the glory that is Organifi. Okay, I've told you all the things. You can get so many different products for them. Green juice, red juice, gold, the pumpkin spice, chocolate gold, all the options depending on what your taste buds like. And I personally just have one of everything on hand at all times because that gives me variety and I'm the kind of girl that needs a little variety to spice up her life. Don't be bored. Get Organifi. Hmm, That was smart. I just came up with that. Okay. (laughs) If you go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. Use the code Kelly T. You'll get 15% off. And I swear to God, tell me how you make your gold, how you blend it, or maybe you're green or red, and just let me know what it tastes like and how good it feels going down. All right, let's get back to this one with Cal. So I already know very much of this story of you and Peyton. Um, And I respect you guys so much. Connor and I talk about y'all all all the time. Like, oh, Cal and Peyton this Mm. and Cal and Peyton that. We love them. And when we grow up, we want to be like them. Um, We just, (laughs) we really respect you. Not that you're old, by the way. (laughs) Y'all are still young and hot, so. (laughs) Oh. Thank you. <laughs> like, we do our best. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But I know that similar to what we were talking about earlier in terms of things breaking down and you feeling like this, this version of me and what's been going on doesn't work anymore. How did that show up in your relationship? A lot of conflict, a lot of, um, you know, so we, we've been married for over 20 years now. Um, and we had a stretch of years, uh, um, that there was just this tension. And when you don't know anything different, you just assume that's what happens in relationships. And there was a coldness, I would say, coming from her. And there was a um, kind of selfishness is the right word, but there was an inward looking (laughs) version of me that wasn't picking up on that as much as when I did pick up on it, I would just be like, you know what? I don't want to deal with it. Like she's just being that way and I'll just go do whatever I need to do to distract myself from actually going into it. And, um, it's hard. And, um, you know, what I found for me was I was all the stuff I was talking about. Like I was having such a struggle loving myself that I didn't know how to love her. Um, not anywhere near the way she needed to be loved. And, uh, I didn't know that. I just felt like I just kept coming up a little bit short or a lot sometimes. And I just wanted to stop hurting her. I didn't know what was going on. And, you know, I've I've had a lot of help from mentors who, you know, one was, <laughs> are you familiar with Paul Selig? Yes. Oh, I had a reading with him like three weeks ago and it was so amazing. So, yeah. So Paul's, as you know, is a medium and he speaks to his guides about you. And, um, I had a few calls with him, but in one in particular, he's like, he actually said those very words. He's like, you just want to stop hurting her and you don't, you don't really know it's not basically, it's not your fault, but you'll know these things will start to emerge. You just be patient and you'll start to, you'll have clarity about who, who your people are and how you're supposed to show up in this relationship. And he's also like, it's not all your fault. You know, she's, he's like reading her as being closed off. And, um, he's like, this is really good for her because she's starting to realize that she can't just rely on you that she needs to separate herself from you and realize that she can do this on her own. And she got to the point where she's like, I'm ready to do this on my own. And while I was very surprised by that, (laughs) that conversation, I understood why. And, um, I didn't try to make excuses and prove myself right. I just listened and I understood that her needs were not being met. Um, and I, I just asked for patience and like that, you know, that I just, I'm struggling. I don't, I don't know. You know, I was like in the middle of this whole upheaval of self and wasn't really able to even understand that's what I was going through. And so it was very chaotic from her point of view. Like what the fuck is going on with him? Is he going to leave me? Mm. Like he's doing all these things. He's changing. He's so into it. Um, 
he has friends who are polyamorous. Is he going to like, is, am I going to come down one day and he's having sex with another, like, like all of the fears were coming up and I wasn't seeing any of it. I'm just like, I'm just kind of a fucked up dude right now. I'm trying to fix myself is the way I was looking at it. And I'm like, I can't understand. Like I'm doing the best I can. Like I'm doing all these things to be a better version, but it was still done with such an intensity that it was not including her. Mm. And that has been one of my problems. Um, there was no collaboration. And I think that's what we've really stepped into, you know, in the past year is understanding that without that, none of it means anything. Just me doing my thing and including her. It doesn't feel good for her. And, and now I'm aware of what that feels like. And it's not that it doesn't happen anymore. It happened like fuck three weeks ago. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, here I go. Okay. Like, but I, I, I owned it. I recognized, I knew that there was a major conflict between us and I had the, the, the wherewithal to not say anything and just to let her vent and go her way. And then I reached out to three of my best friends on a, you know, we're on this group text and I'm like, this is what happened. I know I kind of fucked up. I just, I just don't know exactly what it was. And each of them was like, dude, I just sounds like, you know, in the past, like her, her needs have not been been met and it sounds like you kind of did the same thing here. It's okay. But like you, you, <laughs> like you reached out to us instead of reacting like, dude, that's huge, huge. And for them to see that, it just shows like how we've all grown and just have this whole different notion of what a relationship is, whether it's amongst brothers or it's with your partner. Um, it was so powerful. And it just, you know, when I, I went to her and I owned it and the beauty, and I talk about this so funny, the podcast, we, we just did another podcast is coming out uh, August 25th. August 26th. And, uh, I talk about this particular thing, but I went to her and I, I owned it and I kind of figured that would be, you know, just, you know, no excuses and that she would be good with it. And she wasn't, she still motherfucked me up and down for what I did. <laughs> so it was great. Cause I had to sit with that mm -hmm. and I just sat with it and she had every right to feel how she felt. And, um, the next day things were much better, you know, but I, 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 you know, the old me would have wanted it tidied up right there at dinner when we were, you know, Hey, I, I own my shit. It's like, no, she still has to process it. Um, and to see that, you know, my intentions were earnest. And, uh, so yeah, it's, again, it still happens, you know, and I, I just think for me, it's like when I get in that unconscious mind and I start thinking about, other things that don't involve a collaborative effort, you know, and it's, um, it's, it's easy sometimes to get pulled out of that. Cause you know, I'm trying to make this the best scenario out of all these different iterations. And so I think I've come up with it and I'm talking with someone about it and I kind of shutting her off and just always messy. I didn't feel good for me, but I kind of lost, it's like, can I just, can I just have a minute? And I was like, wow, what a fucking asshole. Like, how did that show up in me? It's like, oh, when I look back, it's like, oh, I, I had had all this thing drawn up and how it was supposed to play out rather than what do you really want? 
And then what do we want out of this situation? Um, so sorry to be vague about what it was, but it's... No, it's okay. You don't need to yeah. tell everyone. <laughs> you know, it's I, I love that you share that because personal responsibility and apologizing are two things that I have learned in being with Connor. Um, I never took responsibility and I rarely apologized because I would just be the victim and I would project all my shit onto someone else and I would just expect them to deal with it. And I was the princess and no one could bother me or criticize me. And with him... You know, he came out of a relationship where he was doing that. He was constantly apologizing and constantly feeling bad and then realized, okay, I don't want to be like this. I need to like find some happy medium. And so he would call me out and he would hold me accountable. And I'm like, well, fuck you. How dare you call the princess out? What are we doing? And I realized like, oh, there's power in apologizing. There's power in taking responsibility. And I can trust myself and I can know that I fucked up or I said the wrong thing and I can apologize and, you know, we can work through it. Similar to Peyton, he needs like a moment to process. Just because I say sorry doesn't mean he's all of a sudden like, hey, babe, let's have sex. You know, sometimes he needs a day or two to like work through it. But I love that you bring that up because I think in relationship, we get so caught up in our ego and so caught up in protecting ourselves. Our our little kids inside of us are just like, oh, my feelings are hurt. Don't mess with me. And what I have realized so much over the last year or so is that taking responsibility and apologizing breaks down the walls. And it has taught Connor, and he has said this on the show before, it when I apologize, it allows him to apologize more. It allows him to take personal responsibility and not always be defensive. And I think that in relationship, we can give each other permission to just let go and know that everyone makes mistakes and that your intentions are good and you do love that person. And sometimes it requires an apology and a responsibility for the actions that we take, no matter where it's coming from. Yeah, it's in, 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 I mentioned this earlier, but for me, it's like letting go of strategy. Yeah. There's, I don't have to make myself feel like I was right, that I was the, you know, the one who, yeah, it's, it, when you let go of strategy and you just open up the space and let, let it all come out in between you and just hold it, 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 it diffuses everything and it may take some time. But there's no, this defensiveness is, it is, it's that, that wounded inner child that's trying to protect itself. It's that survival. And in, in when we really just take a step back and, you know, we, we, you know, it becomes this whole idea in the back of our mind that we're not lovable. And so we, I need to make myself lovable. If I'm right, I'm lovable. And um, I mean, I've talked about this before. It's like something as stupid as not feeding our animals and Peyton being like a little bummed out at me because I didn't maybe do that. And, um, that playing out in my mind, like, Oh, I'm, I'm not lovable because it's like, no, she just, just so she should have fed the animals, dude. It was like your responsibility. Mm-hmm. She can be a little disappointed that you didn't hold up that it's just looking at why am I turning away? Why am I not wanting to make eye contact? Why am I trying to busy myself with something else to get out of her energy that's telling me that she's not happy with me? Why can't I just turn into it, own it, learn from it? Is feedback. Okay, what, you know, maybe that's not a great example of feeding the animals. I know next time I just feed the fucking animals. But, <laughs> you know, there are other things that have more layers to it. And it's like, I finally understood that every time I turn away, 
it's a missed opportunity to learn at what doesn't feel good for her and what exactly it is rather than me making a bunch of assumptions about what I think it is. And that was a big turning point for me. It's like, we need to communicate. I need to allow her to express that without me trying to defend myself, which I did for a number of years and I was pretty good at it. Uh, and just like, again, just opening up the space for us to, to have the conversation. Mm. Usually so nothing, nothing. There's usually nothing. It just needs to be spoken mm-hmm. and it's all good. You guys did an incredible podcast and I believe it was called same marriage or different marriage or new marriage, same partner. Marriage. I just fucked yeah, that up marriage. three times. No, uh, okay. <laughs> new marriage, same partner. Um, it's such an amazing episode. So I want everyone to go listen to that, but can you give us just a glimpse into what it looked like ending your relationship as it was and creating a new space and a new way of being for the two of you? Yeah, we were down in Mexico at a a beautiful wedding and we stayed at this really amazing resort. I hate to even call it a resort because it felt like a community. It was steeped in the Mayan culture. It was down in uh, outside of Merida. So it's in the Yucatan. It's just beautiful. So no days all over the place. And we were there just at this wedding and we booked it like a, we booked a week trip, which she almost didn't come because we weren't in a great place Mm. a week, uh, a month or so earlier. But she decided to come and I had set all these things up. They had a Tamas cow. So like the first night we were there, we did the Tamas cow. And that is what kind of triggered this whole thing of, you know, we come out of the the Tamas cow and she asked the abuela if she would bless her ring because she hadn't been wearing her wedding ring for like months, which I didn't even know. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she has a lot of resistance around that, but she's, she felt really like she had purged, cleansed and came out of the the womb, so to speak. And as she and I talked with Monica, it was, it turned into, well, what if we did another marriage ceremony? And so, um, the, mar- the wedding we went to was on a Saturday and on that Monday we had our own ceremony and it was, it was everything that I would have hoped. It's very different than a traditional wedding that we had back in 2000 and um, nothing against those. But when I look back on that, it's like two kids who don't really know. And they're just repeating whatever the pastor's telling them to say. And it's just like, let's get, let's get through this. So we're married. And um, this was deeply spiritual, but, but um, practical too. It was about forgiving. And I don't love the word forgiving. It's really about accepting each other and ourselves for all that had happened up to that point. Um, good, bad, and other. And, um, to the point where we were holding, um, we each had to hold this black rock and I want to say it was obsidian and to look into that and to see basically your shadow and to commune with your shadow which is just, you don't see, you don't see that in a lot of weddings here in the States. And, and it was just like that type of process of just like, it's, it's all good. You're, everyone's doing the best they can. And it was just kind of an iteration of that. And it allowed us to reflect back on that relationship that brought us together and, and brought us three amazing kids and the life that we have, but to thank it and, and put it 
kind of in the rear view mirror in a sense, like to put it in its place and almost to put it to rest and start fresh. Like we're new people. This is, this was in 2018. So this was 18 years in, like we're different people than we were when we got married. So let's honor that. Let's who, who are we today? How does Cal need to show up in this relationship? It's different than I did back in 2000 and same for Peyton. And so it's just, it was recognizing that. And, um, you know, she's spoken about it before, but we didn't want to give someone else a better version of ourselves. And cause we knew, even though I couldn't love her, like I wanted to, like I felt like she needed to be loved. I knew there was something about, there was something about her that I couldn't, I couldn't articulate. And that was probably, that was part of the problem. It's like, you can't even tell me like how you love me. And it's like, when you're feeling so shitty about yourself and you feel like you have to show up differently to everybody and your worth is based upon what you can provide in a financial sense for your family and your friends and, and, and all those kind of iterations, like it's really hard to truly love someone else. And, um, I think that just started to emerge as I started to do the work and, and create space between me and those roles and still play the roles in a different way. We have to play roles. I mean, we're human. Um, I'm not trying to go to a mountainside and live in a cave and meditate all day. You know, I might do it for a week, but that's, that's not the work I'm called to for an extended, I want to still want to be in this world. And so it's, yeah, just, it was recontextualizing what it meant to be partners and being okay with all of that had happened. I love that. Oh, I love that so much. Again, if you guys have not listened to the episode, please go back and listen to that. I want to talk a little bit about plant medicine because yeah. it has profoundly changed my life. I microdosed uh, mushrooms this weekend three nights in a row while I was alone with our older dog, Dutch, um, in the mountains. And I knew that I needed space. And I just wanted to lay on the floor and look at the ceiling in a cabin and no one asking me for anything and just be with my thoughts because it's been a crazy couple months, as you know, and I don't feel like I've been able to even hear myself or do what my body needs. I've been in service of others and taking care of everyone and just do, do, do. And I, I just knew that the mushrooms were there and could hold me and hold space for me. And that I think for me has been the most profound with plant medicine is knowing that when I sit, whether it's ayahuasca or mushrooms, that I am in a healing space, that I am being held by mother nature and in such a safe space where I can allow and release and do my work and hear myself and trust myself. Um, So I would love to hear about what your experience has been and how that has opened you up. Mm, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot. Yeah. Um, so, so interesting that I totally agree with all that you said there, that you're held in this space when you allow yourself to be held in that space, when you let go. Um, and, and what happens when you don't let go and you try to control the space, the thoughts that are coming in, the experience that you have, because you want it to be a fun one and a good one. And deeply spiritual and beautiful um, that can be really challenging and it can be a bit terrifying at times. It's um, it happens to me from time to time. 
And it's a reminder for me what happens when I don't allow the universe to just take care of me. And it's just like, it's very clear to me that when I try to get my hands on controlling everything, it sucks in the medicine space. It's fucking brutal. And it's important because it's a reminder that dude, when you do this in real life, the same shit happens. And so to let go into that space. And so like you, I've, I've, you know, I'll, I'll do my microdose um, sometimes with LSD, sometimes with mushrooms on a weekly basis, uh, like a really light dose, which is, you know, sub perceptible, you, you know, Peyton always, are you okay to drive? It's like, it's not like that. I'm like way better to drive. I'm super fucking focused yeah. right now. <laughs> you have no idea mm-hmm. how good I am. Um, and so I enjoy using them on, on a real micro level for focus, um, in energy and they're really heart opening for me, but you know, I've sp- spoken about it with Connor before, um, you know, mushrooms were my first, you know, journey into that kind of other realm. And almost every time I've gone in, I've had this, even though I know I didn't die the last time, I still feel like I'm dying. And there's a part of me that's, gone and um you know it just it it allows that that surrender like i was talking about and what i've found especially you know mushrooms can be a little chaotic at times even if it's this really cool experience like sometimes i have a hard time drawing the lessons um one thing that i've worked with a little bit more recently is um like therapeutic levels of ketamine And that's been a space where, and you and I were talking about this before we got on, it's that, uh, it's got such a bad rap, you know, the K-hole and the street drug and however people have, you know, their, their perspective on it. It's been such an incredible tool for me because I get to go into this space that reminds me that there's so much else going on besides this world that we're having this conversation in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't want to live in that world, but it's nice to go back in there to remind myself that there's so many greater forces at work. And if I can just be present to them and have that, that deep experience, then I can, you know, come back into this world and be in a state of acceptance and allowance. And so for me, it's, it's really, um, it's allowed me, you know, it sheds the ego pretty damn quick. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I've done the five MEO DMT, which is a toad venom. And, uh, that's a different experience too. That's, you know, mm. 15 minutes of a rocket ship. And I don't even know how to describe that. I wouldn't even try to right now. As hard as it is to describe mushrooms, it's like way harder to describe, you know, the five MEO experience, but have you done the- combo? No, I'm interested. I haven't been called to it yet, but I'm yeah. very interested. Um, you haven't either, right? No, I've or done have- it three times. Um, oh. but I haven't done the toad. I'm I'm like scared to do the toad because combo is very intense for me, and I hear the toad is just even more of a rocket launch. Well, they call it the the the, the Everest of psychedelics, and it's it lives up to its name. Yeah. Um, so it's it's like with any of these things, you have to have set setting, you have to have the right guide. It just, all that stuff needs to be dialed. Um, 
and it can be a beautiful experience. It doesn't mean it's not like, holy fuck, what just happened? Where am I? It's definitely one of those. Um, I mean, it happens immediately. I mean, literally within seconds, you're somewhere else, which is just, yeah. Could you imagine like when they first started doing this, when they didn't have like any kind like, uh, uh, <laughs> nope. <laughs> poor guys. So, um, but yeah, I've, you know, I've, and listen, I've, I've done all these things. I've done them properly and I've done them improperly. And so I know what the experiences are like. And so now I try to be super mindful about what the container is, who's involved, who's guiding, what's my intention. Um, and so even if, you know, I would just say to people, if you're going in and you're not really sure, like you'll learn quickly and maybe not from you and I having the conversation, but from your, you know, I'm a big, your own experience thing. Like you'll, you kind of got to fuck it up a couple of times. You'll, you'll be fine, but learn from it. Um, and just, yeah, just let that be the guide to when you do the toad, right? Like if you're afraid, then you're not ready to do it, but you may or may not be called at some point. Um, that's how I feel with ayahuasca. Like there's been a few times where I've been called, but it just hasn't presented. So I'll do it sometime, but, um, I'm not jonesing to do it. And that's just my big recommendation for anybody listening. Like don't do it for someone else. You know, I've had, I'll even say this. I had this experience where some of us were doing, um, a psychedelic and it wasn't a ceremonial space. It was more for funsies. And, uh, one of the people was a bit on the fence and me being like the guy who's like the, the, the senior guy in of, of the whole, you know, group, you know, she was, she was on the fence. And so like my, my gut was like, well, there's never going to be a better time to do it because these people that you're with are the people you love more than outside your family, anybody in the world. So you are in a safe container. Um, what happened was there were a series of events that went kind of awry that made the container a complete disaster. It made it a super challenging experience for all of us. And it made it, I would say more challenging for me than it otherwise would have been because I felt this deep responsibility for the experience that she was having that was not good. Mm. And I felt like I was the nudge. And so that's also a piece of advice. If someone's on the fence, don't nudge them. I've done that and it does not feel good. Um, so anyway, you know, uh, but I do, I do, you know, I try, I try, I try the best I can to do these things when I'm called to it and not like, Ooh, it'd be fun to go do this right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's hard for me because I'm, you know, I like to explore and experience shit, you know, and I'm okay with what maybe some of the inherent risks are of like, you just seeing shit you never thought you'd see before in your life. I don't feel like death is an, is an issue, but like just, just getting into something that like completely, you know, undresses you. Like I'm, I'm okay. Like I've, I've seen the benefits of that. Um, and I think just throughout my life, I've been a risk taker. Um, I've just tried to be more measured about it now than, than maybe I was even a couple of years ago. So as I'm sure you're aware, I have mostly women who listen to this podcast. I do have, I do have a few men, my uh, rider dies. I love them so much, but 
One of the things that my female audience brings forward a lot is that they want to be able to approach their partners around personal development or sexual desires or having a more conscious relationship. And they get really scared. And I mean, to be totally frank, sometimes I get scared bringing shit up to Connor because I'm like, this is so woo woo or this is so, you know, relationshipy. And he's just going to look at me and roll his eyes and be like, oh my God, what audiobook did you listen to today? I would love, <laughs> right? That is Connor. Um, <laughs> I would love your perspective as a man who is in this space, who has been through trying times with your wife and you weren't always the way it looks right now advice or tips or just thoughts on how women can approach their partners to have a productive conversation around this? Mm, such a good question. I didn't see this one coming. Oh, sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm that kidding. sorry though. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind, and this may not feel good for everyone, but you have to be willing to let go of that relationship with you speaking your truth. And I say that from my own experience with my wife, Peyton, that we, we were both, I was, when I was, went into this kind of deep self inquiry, I was willing to let go of that relationship. If it meant for me to be who I needed to be, I didn't want that to happen. It wasn't my wish, but I knew that I had lived for so long not being true to like what felt right. And if what felt right for me didn't feel right for her, then why would, would, would should we stay together anymore? And we have kids and all that, but that wouldn't be the first couple to, you know, break up with kids. And like, it's, it's like, how important is it to you to be who you truly are? And if it means exploring sexually, you you need to just there's a way to approach it too you know like maybe if you're wanting to have other partners you don't just come up and say listen I, re I really you know was turned on last night when we were sitting with jimmy and i i wanted to bang him like, <laughs> yeah no don't do that approach so you gotta you gotta open the container maybe a little differently than that but um it comes back to getting out of the head and getting like, what, what do you really feel? And is that what you really feel? Like, are you going to tune into that too? Or is this something that seems like a good idea because a friend of mine's doing it and you know, she's raving about it. Like, does it really, is it really something you want to explore? Is it something you can bring to your partner um, in a way that he or she can um, listen, you know, and it's hard you know, to be fair, we haven't had, I would say those, those challenging kind of more sexually based conversations. Um, so I can't really speak to that, but I really think like, I have a friend who's a very public figure and he's been divorced once he's been, he's remarried. And for the past couple of years, he's talked about how there's no love in his relationship and he doesn't feel supported all the reasons why they should just not be together. They were just so not on the same page. And uh, he said, quite frankly, he's like, I just don't want to be the, this, the guy who got divorced twice. Mm -hmm. Okay. I understand that. And there's a lot that comes, I imagine with being a public figure. I don't, I don't know what that feels like, but I said to him, bro, like, like fast forward 
five, 10, 15 years, like, what if you're still just the one, the guy who's been divorced once, how's that going to feel in this relationship? What happens if you're the twice divorced guy and you find someone who will love you the way you need to be loved and you will be able to love, like, what is, what does that feel like? And, um, it's, it's just, I don't even know how I started talking about this, but it's this whole idea of like worrying about hurting someone's feelings or what the public's going to think, or like, you have to stay true to who you are, you know? And, you know, just starting to like questioning everything with like even the convention of marriage, like, what does that even mean? And the possessiveness of it, I know it doesn't feel good for me. Um, I have no interest in being with anyone else, but I, I can see where that's sticky for people. And so why not bring that up? Um, be prepared for your partner not to understand what the fuck you're talking about. And so be patient. They're not going to leave you that day. I don't think if they do, then that's information that maybe it wasn't meant to be, but there's, there's ways to do it. And don't, the problem I've made in the past is seeking resolution immediately. Like when I have an, I like, I'm want to like move on. Like, okay, like I have this idea. Let's do this. Are we, are you on board? No, you're not sure. Like, fuck, come on, make up your mind. Like I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Patience. Big one for me. Like I'm really practicing patience, but it's don't, look for resolution in me. Like, just let it, let it unfold how it needs to let her or him process it in a way that they can and be compassionate because you may have just dropped a bomb on them. Whether you feel like that or not, there's maybe a part of you that's, there's, it's not all from the heart and that's okay. How could, how do we really fucking know until we say the thing to the one we love? And it's like, Oh, maybe I want to walk that back, but there's just, just, just try to be there for them. Um, but you, you know, I always like to look down the road again, like I did with my buddy. It's like, what would it look like if you didn't speak this? What's the worst that happens? They leave me. Okay. So do you want to be with them if they leave you for that? You know, I'll give you an example. My, my, my 14 year old son, we were having a conversation and um, I happened to be in the bathtub. Like I just totally love getting in the bathtub and like just totally chilled out. And I, I called him and I said, Bo, come down. I want to, want to hang for a bit. And so he's telling me about these, the couple schools that he was, we were sending him, you know, we had him look at a couple different schools and he went to his older brother's school and um, met a couple girls there. He was hanging out with this one guy and they met a couple girls and they exchanged um, not phone numbers nowadays. They exchange their Instagram Snapchat. handles. Oh, Snapchat. Snapchat I think. Maybe it's Instagram. <laughs> Even I'm too old for that. <laughs> I, can't, I can't fucking keep up with that. And he's a big, he's a big gamer. Hmm. He loves playing video games. And so I'm like, Hey, how's it, you know, how's it going? You know, like what, what have you, have you talked to him since? Like what, like, Hey, uh, like, what are you, what are you posting on uh, whatever it was? Right. Cause I'm thinking, okay, if it's me, I'm not posting any video game deal. Like I'm trying to put myself in the best light for how I think they want me to be like that old bullshit. So that's, that was, that was my, my motivation for that um, question. And he looks at me like puzzled. He's like, dad, I just like my video game clips. It's like, if, 
if they don't like me for like my video game clips, like I'm not going to, we're not going to get along. <laughs> fuck dude. 14. <laughs> and he's always been like that. He has not given a fuck about what anybody else does. Oh. And it, this is what they mean when they say your kids or your teachers, like they just show up authentically to who they are. And it fucking blew me away. I was like, dude, I am like, thank you for that. Cause I need constant reminder that I just need to show up as me. And that's all, it's all he does. Um, so again, are you trying to get a little, little something, something, you know, then you can do that for the one night or whatever. But if at the end of the day, like we're talking about relationships that are real and it's important to look at what the alternative is to speaking your truth. And again, a way that is compassionate and allows for them to process. Um, and if you don't speak that truth and you just kind of bottling that up, it's going to come out in ways there's going to be resentment. You're going to be a bitch to him. And you don't even know why. And it's generally because this is being suppressed repressed, whatever the right terminology is, and it needs to come out in some way. And that would be a healthy communication would be a way that I would explore, but don't seek like immediate resolution. Take my advice or try to, and then see what happens. Yeah. I feel I can like see women right now approaching their partner, like in the kitchen and like asking for answers right there. I know because I do that to Connor and he hates when I corner him and ask him questions. I have to give him, I know now this is hilarious that I'm saying this out loud to people, but I know if I want to have a productive conversation with Connor about something semi uncomfortable, I have to have at least 10 feet between us. We stand on opposite ends of the kitchen or opposite ends of the couch. And I do not impede on his space. And I let him breathe because if I get close to him, he feels like I'm on top of him hovering and he feels so much pressure and he can't think. So I learned that like I would like pull up a chair 10 feet away and he doesn't even notice what I'm doing. But I know that I can have a productive conversation and it's really understanding your partner. If you want to be able to converse like that, don't hover. Don't expect something. Don't go in thinking, OK, this is going to be how it's going to go. And I want this conversation to end like this. And then we're going to have sex and everyone's happy. It may not go like that. And that's OK. Yeah. And it, I've been beating this fucking drum all podcast long, but don't go in with strategy, mm -mm. like go in with an open heart and allow, allow for it. Like I, again, I've gone in with strategies here and there and it just always blows up in my face. And so go in, you know, maybe separate 10, 15, whatever, whatever the distance <laughs> We're social distancing. What, what, what are, what are like some of the questions that, that I asked might be asked? Yeah. Like you ask, what would your listeners ask of their partner or like, what would you, what, give me, throw me a bone here. I mean, I, the shit that I asked Connor that he gets angry about is what do you want? Like, what do you want? What would make you happy? What do you want to do? And he freaks out. I think, I, mm. um, yeah, I feel like it's that kind of stuff. Or if women are not feeling kind of like Peyton, like they're not being loved the way they need to, their partner's not showing up in a way that speaks to their love language or the way that they show up. They're like, well, why can't you do this for me? Why can't you give me gifts or spend quality time with me? And I feel like men's response is they don't understand what that means or what that looks like. And so they're like, well, I'm doing this thing. Why isn't that good enough? Oh, yeah. Okay. Got it. Now I can speak a little more clearly on this. <laughs> Sorry, I should give I you context. No, no, no. That helps a lot because, um, again, what I was talking about earlier about my own experience is 
a lot of these men just don't understand. We think we need to show up by giving, maybe giving gifts, even though some don't give gifts. Like we think we have to show up in these ways that we earn your love by having a great job and providing a nice home and doing all these other things that we're not simply worthy of love by being us. And I would say I've got, there's going to be 17 of us part of this brotherhood. I would be shocked if not every single one of those guys felt that in some way, Mm -hmm. some very profound. And so I would just, it's like classic. It's not you. It's me. It's, it's literally, it's so funny because Peyton and I had this conversation. She's like, you know, I was, this was like years ago up here and I was hanging out with like, you know, one of these football guys and, you know, I said, Oh yeah, I played with so-and-so and uh, I was just telling them how everybody loves you and da, 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 da. And, and so she didn't say anything until like four months ago. She's like, you know, when you told me how you met so-and-so and how you told them how everybody loves me, you know, da, 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 da. I wanted you to say how, why you loved me. And I was like, yeah, but I didn't know then. I, I, I again, I wasn't, I was, I was like chasing those relationships with the guys who were famous athletes or whatever. And I was friends with them, but there was something underneath that was making me think that this was going to make me uh, more worthy. But what it did was the way I was relating when I would come home was very unattractive for Peyton. It's like, dude, like you don't need any of that shit. You know, it's like, you're like, I basically, I love you for you. Like you, you actually, what you're doing right now is kind of gross. Yeah. So it, it, it may not have anything to do with you. And I know that's fucking hard and it does not like, but, but I just want you to sit with that, that your man or woman, maybe just not may have maybe in this existential crisis that they can't even put words to, cause I wasn't putting words to it. I was just chasing all these other things that I thought was going to be the thing never was. And I was doing cooler and cooler and cooler shit all the time. And it was only making me feel shittier and shittier when I wasn't doing it. It's all this whole distraction piece. And so we're good at distracting ourselves. Um, and unfortunately we just, we have this notion, I think a lot of us that we need to do things to be worthy of love. And Peyton had tried to share that with me a number of different times. Like you don't, I don't like all this shit's awesome. Like I love the, but I just want you. And it wasn't until we were at Burning Man in 2019 that I finally understood that I felt this whole body of armor just leave me. And again, she tried to say it before, but I wasn't ready to hear it. I didn't believe it. Did not believe it. No fucking way. That's not how I was brought up. You need to earn that love by doing all these things in a really good shape, you know, doing all this cool shit, like hanging out with famous people, like all that stuff. Right. So it's been quite an education. Cal, I am so grateful for you. Thank you for coming on here and sharing so beautifully. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome. So good. 
Thank you all so much for listening to The Kelly Show. If you haven't yet subscribed, be sure to do so now and head to ratethispodcast.com slash Kelly to leave a five-star review. And as a bonus for doing that, if you send me a screenshot of your review before you submit, I will get you a little thank you gift in the mail. All right, we have another juicy episode coming for you next week, so stay tuned. And as always, if I can support you in any way, please reach out. Remember, I'm just a DM or an email away. See you guys soon.